There it is. All right, boys and girls, we are live. My name is Rob from Rob School of Music, and I am joined by my record talk co-host, Mr. Brian, and we have the legend. Yes. Mr. Christopher Thorne hanging with us today for Blind Melon and many other magical things. So we're gonna we're gonna talk. Yeah, man. What's up, guys? How's it going? Dude, I'm great. We didn't get to say I'm a huge fan. Huge fan of Blind Melon. It's one of my favorite bands. Um since you guys came out and just um it's been it's been a whirlwind you know the it ending and then kind of this rebirth it's been i we were so pumped when he's like he had called me he's like do you hear the news i'm like news boys like blind miles back together I'm like what yeah what? yeah what? yeah man it's been it's been incredible especially with some of the new stuff you guys have been releasing thank oh, you yeah thanks it's on, yeah. it's on constant repeat <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah, it feels good. You know, it's like those guys are my brothers, and it just feels good making, making, you know, making music with your brother. So, you know, obviously yeah. we have an incredible history. So, and yeah. Travis has been with us now for so long. He, you know, it doesn't. He doesn't feel like the new guy anymore. That's for sure. So, right. The last time I saw you guys, I don't know, if it was a year and a half, maybe two years ago in Chicago. Um, but what a killer set! You guys were so tight. It was just magical. It was the best way to describe it. it was just magic. It was just oh, magic. thanks. Oh. Where do we play? Where do we play in Chicago? Oh man, where was it? Was it the Metro? Yes. Metro. No. Yeah. Wait, was the Metro? Metro, Double Door. What else is around? Double Door. It was the Double Door. Was yeah. the Metro. Great places. We love Chicago. Oh, have always had great shows there. Yeah, the energy was just insane between the crowd and you guys and the after show, just hanging out. Everybody, it was just, it was just, ah, oh, it was incredible. Just yeah, incredible. thank you so much. Well, I'll tell you, dude, that actually segues into a fantastic first question. So, hey. what, yeah, like, like we rehearsed that. <laughs> no, not um uh so you know being a school a lot of our students are younger in their musical journey and and stage fright is a huge thing and back when we could do shows we would always put them into places where they could perform live i think playing music live is the greatest expression and the coolest my favorite place is doing that do you have any tips for overcoming i mean like you know you got you've been on some stages i can't even fathom in my mind like what's what, what's how do you do that yeah it's a great question you know for me, I always had to kind of, uh, it's not that I'm creating somebody, somebody I'm not, but it's definitely, you know, this person doesn't get on stage. It takes me a minute to be a bigger version of myself, you know, to be on stage. And like, it took me a long time to crack that code because, you know, I used to just get nervous and feel awful. And, but at some point I just, I don't know. You just start to figure out, you know, for me, I'm one person, but the second I walk to the stage, a different guy shows up for me Yeah. You know, to get to the stage. I got to be a different guy to get to the stage. I'm, you know, shy as fuck. And I don't, you know, want anyone looking at, I'm that guy. I don't want anyone looking at me. But when I walk to the stage, I become a different person. You know what I mean? It's still me, but it's just, I don't know. It's like almost like a different character of myself that's bigger and better than I am. And you, we had to learn that, you know, Blind Melon, before we even had a record out, we're playing stadiums with Guns N' Roses to 100,000 people. So coming from playing clubs and playing to 50 people, you know, you can play guitar like this to 50 people because they can see every little nuance. But when you're playing to 100,000 people, suddenly you realize you just got to be bigger. You're trying to create, you know, you're trying to create a bigger presence on yeah. a stage that is so fucking giant you could barely see the other side of it so i had i had to figure out how to just be a bigger bolder version of myself 
you know, and you got to crack that code sooner than later. You, you really do. We were thrown into it because, you know, we had been playing clubs and went right to stadiums immediately yeah. with Guns N' Roses in Mexico playing to 100,000 people a night. So we had to figure out real, real, real quick, you know. So for me, I, I say to people, like, imagine you're somebody else if that helps you get to the stage. You know what I mean? You want to be Keith Richards? Fucking wear a damn, put something around your head and <laughs> Keith Richards and do some Keith Richards shit. You know what I mean? Whatever. <laughs> you know, however your hero is, imagine yourself as that person, you know? And, um, you know, you don't have to be the same person off stage as on stage. I mean, you know, honestly, people would be bored to death if I was the same person. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would just be sitting here playing guitar like this. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, you know, I had, I had to figure that shit out right, right quick. Yeah. Is it, a, is you think it's an adjustment too? And like getting off the stage, like kind of going from that persona and, and kind of like the calm down afterwards of, of like, kind of, you know, I'm sure you have your, your, your after show rituals and whatnot, but I'm, I'm sure there's gotta be like some sort of adjustment that happens. We have to kind of like force yourself into like, all right, back into it. There is. And, and that's, yeah. and that takes a long time to kind of figure out that transition. It's never gotten, uh, quicker i would say coming from the stage my wind down time is still you know four or five hours of wind down time it's it's yeah. impossible to get off stage trying to be a bigger version of yourself and then and then be like oh i have to get up early so i should go to sleep right now it just doesn't work that way you know what i mean it's like you're up because you've pumped yourself you know you've you've pumped yourself up you know what i mean you've kind of done that to yourself yeah. so so then you have to like go go back down into mellow mode you know yeah so, yeah all that's really important you know it is and it took me a long time to figure out I, that transition between like getting to the stage took me a long time to figure out like right it's funny if like if my parents are around or even my wife or something like i almost need to not be with them at least a good 45 minutes before the show mm. so that the other version of myself can get to the stage yeah that makes sense and that, and that usually means I'm backstage with the guys and, you know, and we're goofing off and making each other laugh. And like that helps me get to the stage, I would say. If yeah. I'm hanging out talking to my parents five minutes before the show, I just feel like I'm just there. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't help me get there. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But push that shit out to be that guy that can get to the stage. But dude, it's good that you're like so aware of that. I actually recently, recently, a year ago, ran into a similar circumstance where we were doing, um, a big recital and end of the year performance. Our theme was the nineties. So we had, we put bands together with the students. Um, nice. no, no rain was one of the songs, of course. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was epic. But for me, like I had brought in some of my musician friends to help me prep for it, like get all the gear on stage. So like it was a, all of a sudden I'm like Rob from Rob school of music, but then I'm like Rob guy on a stage. I'm on a stage. I'm prepping for a show, but my students are around. And I was like, two-face almost where i was like business and maniac and at sure. the end some of the kids were like are you okay and i'm like yeah who am i you know <laughs> yeah that's two different environments trying to meld into one that's it's a tough thing to do but i totally get what you're saying too about like the momentum like you need that momentum to get there you can't just be expected to like a light switch turn that on i'm like all right it's, i mean i'm sure you could if, if you know go into your head but like yeah you know <laughs> We usually try to clear the backstage area about an hour before we go on just so that we can do that, kind of get ourselves there. And I've noticed certain people, like when we played Woodstock, I remember Henry Rollins did like like 75 push-ups immediately, like right before he walked to the stage. So every, everyone has their own version of what it takes to to do this. Yeah. To get 
stage, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny you bring up too, is like how you guys were catapulted. So I was just watching the, um, all I can say, which is amazing. I mean, Fantastic. amazing visionaries. I mean, yeah. like letters from a porcupine, like just your vision in your records and in, in, in the visual context of things, it's just, it's incredible. And I was watching my wife and she didn't realize like how, like just several demos and then boom, here you go, guys, just boom, come right into it. It's incredible to watch that and how you guys were able to adjust. I mean, that's that's crazy. Like you said, going from these tiny gigs to like, hey, we're sharing a stage with Guns N' Roses, one of, you know, by far one of the biggest bands. Yeah. I'm in the 90s, like just selling out arenas and just these manic, massive concerts. And it's like, it's incredible that you guys were able to kind of do all that. I mean, you had some amazing tours too. I mean, we, really, we, had, we had to really figure it out really quickly. We didn't have a whole lot of time to like, you know, play clubs and build it and then go to theaters and then, and then get to the, you know, the little arena and then the big arena and then the stadium. We went from playing to 50 people to playing stadiums with Guns N' Roses right before our record was even released. So yeah, it was totally insane, you know? And um, when I look back on it, I realized just how insane it, you know, it was. And, uh, but yeah, we had to figure it out. And Shannon really, I saw Shannon really, develop quickly and figure it out i mean he had an instinct as a as a entertainer just as a person um shannon i would say you know i'm talking about how i kind of have to be a slightly different person to get to the stage shannon was kind of the same guy at all times which made him you know exhausting at times because you were like is there an off button that we can turn off you're like you know, you're in a van or something driving 12 hours to the next show. And you're like, dude, can we just get a little less Shannon Hoon right now? You know, um, he kept us laughing and entertained. But, you know, I think for him, I think if you're an extrovert, you know, maybe that transition is a whole lot easier, you know, to get to the stage back to that. And I think if you're an introvert, you got to figure out ways, you know, to get yourself to be an extrovert because you're going to be on stage. Yeah. So um, Shannon had that instinctually, and I never really saw him have to really get in. You know, he never really had to figure that out. He just was that guy at all times. Yeah. Very cool. You know, it's it's. I think one of the coolest things as a musician is the ability to, you know, eat shit so often <laughs> as you ride this wave. And, and to have the longevity that, that you've had, be it with Blind Melon and then Unified Theory, which I definitely want to touch on, and then the mm -hmm. Immol Nation, and then the studio, and then, you know, back Blind Melon again, like, what, where do you, this is a complex question, because to me, I think the answer is going to be the same answer you're going to say, but where do you muster up that fortitude to, you know, if someone was like, hey, I want to go be a rock star, like, what headspace should they be in? Like, it's not all champagne and caviar, you know? Well, I think I never wanted to be a rock star that, you know, whatever, you know, for me, it just, it really was just the music. I know it sounds like super cliche, you know what I mean? But the truth is, is I never had aspirations of being a rock star. I mean, I wanted to make records for a living. For me, it was like, that was sort of the goal, you know, all, you know, the rock star stuff that happened and don't get me wrong. It's fun as fuck. You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you know, you're lucky, you know, when it's happening to you and you're on the cover of Rolling Stone and all those things are like, those things were so beyond my, even my dreams that they were really hard to digest in the, at the time, you know, things happen so fast for blind melon. So those things were so hard to digest. I would say the greatest advice is don't want to be a rock star. Want to make, 
you got to want to make something that moves somebody. You know what I mean? That's yes. really, that's, I never, you know, I had rock stars hanging on my walls and stuff, but like, that wasn't it for me. I was, you know, I just wanted to write songs that uh, touched people the way Sympathy for the Devil and Bob Dylan and Led Zeppelin and all those bands, you know, I just wanted to give goosebumps, you know? So for me, that was always my goal. The rock star stuff is, you know, that was just all the extra stuff that happened that, that is fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I think you that. I mean, between the between the you know, studio, but also you hear it in the records. I mean, you're you're such a dynamic, virtuosic person. Like you just learn different, like the mandolin, the harmonica. Like you guys are constantly the Wurlitzer. I mean, there's just even yeah. the four songs you guys have released. There's there's so much there to unpack. And lyrically, like you guys are amazing storyteller. I mean, I know you all write, so it's just like, how does one group of guys have so much talent? And you have one of the most. Graham is one of my, uh, you know, Glenn is one of my favorite drummers. Like, I agree, phenomenal. And I feel like we talk about him enough. I'm kind of like, who's your favorite drummer? I'm like, Glenn, like Glenn, who? I'm like, yeah, like, just put on the first record. It's kind of like putting on the first Ze Zeppelin album. You, you hear John Bonham coming, you're like, yeah, melts. You're like, what? And like, you go see him live, and you're just like, all of you guys, you watch all you guys live, and you're just incredible musicians and artists. Yeah, thank you. Watch that. Yeah, it's thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, Glenn, Glenn is this is really is really the sound of, of Blind Melon. You know, the truth is before we had Glenn, we did have another drummer and we didn't sound like the Blind Melon that you know today. It was Glenn that made it really sound like Blind Melon cuz quite honestly, Glenn doesn't really play like any modern drummers. No. He plays with Jim Gordon and you know more like those older guys from, you know, from, from back in the day and no one plays like Glenn. I mean, no one, he's, he's just, you couldn't replace Glenn. The band would sound so drastically different and would feel castrated quite honestly. And in, in my, you know, in my opinion, you know, for me, you know, Glenn is just the wild card. I just want him to go crazy. He, you know is, I mean? so, yeah, he really is. Yes. He's a very lyrical drummer. You know, he, he plays off the vocal and he's, he's super lyrical. He doesn't play a fill where you think he should play it. And, and uh, he's just, he sounds like 10 people playing at one time, honestly. So yeah, Glenn's, Glenn's the secret weapon for sure. <laughs> well, you know, jumping off of, of that and, you know, the virtuosity throughout the band, like what is the writing process? Like, you know, does someone bring in an idea and it's like, you know, Pete Townsend style where it's a fully formed demo and you play this, 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 or is it fully collaborative or does it change song to song? Many different ways. Yeah, I bet. many different ways. But um, I would say in the early days, like on the first record, we were in the same room together, jamming a lot. So a lot of those songs came out of sort of these jams. Obviously, Shannon brought in Change, which was fully formed. It didn't tell us what to play on it, but it was fully formed. No Rain was fully formed. Brad brought that in, fully formed. Um, but most of the songs were, I would say, were a little more jam, like. Um, you know, I brought in like, you know, Drive and Paper Scratcher that were that were fully formed uh, musical pieces that Shannon then wrote to and everyone kind of came up with their parts. The set, the, the, the process is a little different these days because we're not in the same room together anymore. I would say the songs are a lot more fully formed. You know, when I write something, I try to finish it and either Travis likes it and wants to sing my lyrics or not. And I always give him that option and. It's never an issue for me if he doesn't like it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You like, you have to deliver my lyrics. So either you're connecting with it or you're not, you know. But within that, even when somebody brings in a fully formed song, I don't tell anyone what to play. 
You know what I mean? Even though my demo has the drums, the bass, my guitar on it, and sometimes my shitty vocal, and then I send it to Travis, and either he likes it or he doesn't. But I don't... Part of the Blind Melon sound is having everybody contribute to it and have it be something that maybe you wouldn't have done. You know what I mean? We're not making solo records here. So, you know, part of the process is letting go and letting, you know, letting someone else do something to your song that, um, and nine times out of 10, it, it makes it better than you ever imagined. You know what I mean? Rogers comes up with guitar parts on something that I wrote that I would never imagine doing. And, and I'd like to think he would say the same thing about when he writes a song, because everyone's a writer. Uh, you know, hopefully I do the same thing to his song. I, tr I try to do something that gets it to the next level that he never would have thought about, you know? Yeah. Cool. Very cool. You know, it, it, it's great you say that too. Like, you know, everybody has their own part and you could hear that. And it's a, to me, I still enjoy listening to albums in their entirety, but like with headphones on, noise, noise canceling. Really yeah. I mean, it, I love that. And you, you see that with like a lot of those great bands from the past, Zeppelin, you mentioned Stones earlier. Sure. You hear just such these nuances or how each person plays such an integral part. And I've always felt that way about you guys. Like when I put on my headphones, it's like, oh man, there's so much here. I was listening to some of those new songs today with the headphones on. I was like, ah, there's just so many little things you could pick up on, whether it's yeah. drumming or, you know, like you said, Rogers guitar playing or, or you're, you're playing as well. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's fun to listen to Nathan too, because this is the first record that you guys have done with Nathan. And man, I didn't realize, because I, I follow him on Instagram. I didn't realize like, how talented that guy was he plays guitar like, it's like he's, so, he's so he's so annoyingly talented I, I, I love him and hate him at the same time here's the truth nathan can play guitar better than rogers and i both <laughs> and plays bass better than all of us he can sing better i mean like honestly he's such a fucking mvp it's incredible <laughs> he really is i mean honestly his um his 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 what, what am i trying to say his overall musicianship far exceeds anybody in our band i would say you know and i lean on him sometimes i'm like dude can you send me the charts for travis's new song he's like yeah give me a minute send me a chart i'm like oh thank you so much it's all like charted out <laughs> you know so yeah no nathan has been he's he's just incredible we are so lucky to have him and and like i said his musicianship is he it's he's really the best musician in the band wow wow yeah. How did you guys meet him? Because it's been it was awesome seeing him live and now hearing him on the on these these recorded tracks. It's like yeah, how did that kind of originate. He was a friend of Travis's and they had worked together, so it just kind of felt like a natural progression. And and those guys were were buddies, and we just immediately loved Nathan. He just was like he felt like family like from day one. Honestly, he was right he's on. great. Yeah, so we're we're lucky. He's a great hang, and like I said, a super super musician. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> So that's another one of the intangibles that I feel like a lot of people coming up and wanting to be in bands and again, longevity and the ability to master the elusive hang it is something <laughs> that, that can ruin. You could be the best, you could be the best guy on the planet, but if you can't hang and you're not cool and you're not humble, I think sure. that that ruins everything. And, you know, I try to, I've come across students along the way and, and musicians along the way who are on the wrong path. And I just try and, uh, yeah. Just, re just recently, actually, there was one one in particular. I hope he sees this, and I had to I had to crack down that uh, you can't talk to people that way, and you can't yeah. not be cool. No, you can't. And like as a producer, like you know, I'm responsible for the vibe in the room, right. so I'm not going to take a risk on anybody who's going to ruin my vibe. Yeah, you know, I might be thinking of a musician, and I'm like, wow, they are really great, but I'm like, you know what, their vibe kind of fucking blows. <laughs> and like, you know, it's hard enough to make records, you know, it's hard enough making records. So to have anybody that has any bullshit 
and brings anything into the studio, I just don't have any patience for it. I just yeah. really don't, you know what I mean? I really, I really don't, you know? And I think people who are good people, you want to see those people win. And those people do great in the business. You know what I mean? Like, you know who's a great example? Dave Grohl is so goddamn cool. You know, you, you want to see that fucker win just because you're like, Jesus, that guy's just the nicest guy. <laughs> you want to see people like that win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Compared yep. to like someone who's like, oh, that guy's so cocky. He's a schmuck. Like, I don't want to see that guy win. I just don't, you know? Yep. So yeah. I think I think attitude is incredible. Like, you know, there's certain musicians I hire every time because I know they bring in an energy into the room that helps me make the session so much better. Yeah. So, Cool. Very everything. How how is the the environment that you're in? How has that affected the energy? Like being in the desert. Like what what kind of drew you there? And how has that kind of affected either your process or other artists who who've never been to the desert? And like, whoa. I mean, it's got to be like a very jarring experience to be it, out there in the vast openness. It really is. And what you're saying there is the key to the word. Something about the openness. Like what I tell people is, and it's the truth. Like I wrote more songs in Joshua Tree in two years than I did in LA for 20 years. And, and that's not an exaggeration. I truly mean it. When I first moved out here and I couldn't figure out what it was, I was like, God, what is it? Why am I like, I just felt like I was walking around my property and finding fully formed songs. Yeah. Oh, I found that one in my claim shack. It was almost, <laughs> I didn't feel like I was writing, writing them. They were like, you know, they were getting dropped off to me, you know, at least a good, like, 70%, you know what I mean? Or 75% would just kind of get dropped off and then I'd finish them off. Um, and I realized that for the first time in like 30 years, I felt like I could hear myself think and just hear myself clearly in the desert. And it probably has to do with the fact that, you know, if I show you my view, I mean, I can just see for as, I mean, as long as the eye wants to see, let me see if, let me see if I can just open up my door here. Yeah. Go for a walk here. Hang on a second. Yeah, so something about this atmosphere, you know, and just something about just the open space, you know, it just, it just, you know, there's something about that that just made me be able to hear myself. There's nothing in my way, you know what I mean? And it sometimes it just felt like the songs were coming in from the wind, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, anyway, the, uh, the way it looks out here absolutely has changed my life, and um. There's some weird magical quality about Joshua Tree, and I can't totally put it into words, but it has to do with the openness and the fact that I'm not living in a city and things are like in my face and like, you know what I mean? Like something about just the openness. And I'll say one more thing. I know it sounds kind of funny and almost kind of cheesy, but something about being connected to the nature yeah. changed my life. Like I grew up in the country in Pennsylvania and had the best childhood spent all my time in the woods by myself. And then I moved to a city, you know, whether it was Seattle or Los Angeles or New Orleans. And I was just always around a lot of activity and a lot of things, something about being here and I can look out and I just see a bunny go across or, you know what I mean? There's just coyotes here, snakes, you name it. Something about feeling like you're in this environment and they were here first, by the way. So right. you're just, you're just a guest, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're just a guest here. Yep. So I don't know, something about that connection to like the planet and animals made me connect to songs in an easier way. I, it's hard for me to describe, but it's it's been magical here, I, I would say. Dude, yeah. see, seeing that view, I got it right away. I literally had to wipe a tear out of my eye. That yeah, was, right? 
unreal. Yeah, there's something about that. And, and then, like, you know, you live in a city and you just feel like you're in a bubble in a city. Don't get me wrong. I love L.A. and I love city. But being out here and looking at the sky, something about feeling like really small and insignificant in the universe. Yeah. Felt really good to me. Yeah, it's humbling. You, know, you live in LA and you're like, you know, you're like, you just feel like, wow, it's LA. It's the most important. And it's like, I don't know. You have this weird sense of like, I don't know what it is, but being out here, you're like, man, you're nothing. You're just another little, you're like the damn rabbit here. You're all just trying to get along. You're all trying to get through the day. Right. And something about that humbled me and allowed me to write better songs is, is what I would say with this view. Nice. Were, were you always into like the production side? Like I see you got the NS 10s there and this gorgeous console. Yeah. Like, how did that start? Even from a very early age, like I had like that little four track on the cassette, you know, like the cassette four track and I was obsessed with it. You could flip the tape backwards and do backwards stuff, which was yeah. <laughs> at the time. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my God, I could sound like George Harrison <laughs> flipping around, you know, it, it was so exciting. Um, so yeah, for me, the guitar and recording almost happened around the same time. Like I, maybe I had the guitar for, you know, at 13, maybe for a couple of years, but I immediately started recording. So all that happened at one time for me. Wow. That's awesome. Was it you just know. like um, acquiring gear over time? Like you, you had a commercial space for a bit, right? And I still do. Yep. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I always do. Yeah. This place gets rented out all the time. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Without me, without me. So, which is, which is great. So yeah, somewhere, this is what happened in the nineties when we were lucky enough to make a bunch of money. I just, in my mind, I could either go buy a Porsche or I could go buy this console, which is about the same as a, as a, a brand, you know, yeah. And yeah. for me, when blind melon happened, I was so afraid of losing it of losing, like, I just, just didn't want a day job so bad. <laughs> and I just wanted to make records forever. So when I made money, I thought, well, I could buy a fancy car or I could buy gear that will allow me to make records with or without a record company and with or without a budget forever. Yeah. And that's the, just, that's the choice that I made. You know, when we were selling tons of records, I was driving around a 20 year old caravan, baby blue caravan, because <laughs> this was, this was what's important to me. Making records was important to me, not like looking cool in a fancy car. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I was always, always into making records and I just wanted to be able to do it forever. And I just didn't want to have a day job, I guess, you know, so, I, wa I watched, um, there was a studio tour video. Yes. Um, on YouTube. And I, it was like, you know, going behind the curtain at the video store when you were a kid, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just <laughs> magical, the equipment. Um, so it's just so cool. And just the view behind you, man, I could stare at this forever. This may be my new background in my telephone. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, the vibe in, in your studio is incredible. It just it feels so welcoming. Sometimes you look at a place and it's kind of sterile and it's there to serve a purpose in the sense that purpose is recording, get it done. Yeah. Yours doesn't have that. Feel. Yes, that is the, the object, right? Is to, to get something recorded, but like all other energy there and part of its environment, part of the environment you created within that larger environment that you're talking about. That's so humbling and yeah. that's really cool. You don't see that all the time. And I feel like that really makes yeah. a special experience for, for yourself, but also for the artists that you're, you're working with. It's just like, wow, what a memory. I mean, that stuff's important to me. It's, it's amazing how many people get that wrong within a studio. You know, for me, the way I think like an artist to me, it's like, I'm writing a song on my couch normally. So I don't want to go into a place that doesn't feel like I'm sitting on my couch making a record. Right. So I try to create an environment that just feels like 
a living room with a bunch of rad gear right. as opposed to some bright lights and feeling like, and that's intimidating. I got to tell you, like in my early twenties going into those big studios and just feeling that pressure, like, I don't know, it doesn't really work for me. To me, most people are writing a song in their bedroom, in their bed, on their bed, on their couch. Yep. You know what I mean? So to me, it's like, well, let's just make it feel like a wonderful living room. Um, you know, the reason why this the studio is called Fireside Sound is the first studio I had, not the first one, but the one I still have in Los Angeles has a fireplace. Ah. So this was great to be able to, you know, build a fire and, you know, make a record, you know, it just yeah. felt, felt like a living room. So I love it. Um, I think that's important and it blows my mind when people get that wrong. You walk into like a studio and you can tell it was like an investment or something like somebody yeah. just trying to make a business. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a hard equation. It really isn't. And it's got to, it's got to come down to like some sort of business, you know, or just like, you know, we're just here to serve a purpose and that's it. And they, they yeah. one equation. It's not quantum physics, you know, it's, it's very easy. Like <laughs> recreate yeah. what has made everybody so excited when they first started out, whether it's in a garage or basement, like you said, they're exactly. just like, Capture that energy, bottle it, and, and try to replicate it in some way. That's important to me. That has yeah. always been important to me. Yeah. And you, I, I wish, I mean, it's, you know, the three of us, this seems like so like, duh, but you're so right. right. Like if you look up like, you know, I watch a fair amount of studio tours on YouTube because like I said, I can nerd out pretty hard. And they feel like, they feel like you're in the Apple store. Like it does, yeah. there's no vibe. Yeah, yeah. I don't want that. To me, yeah. to me, the vibe is, is everything, you know? So I put that at the top of the list. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Kind of going um, with like the, the studio and everything. I know the last interview you had with uh with Rob, you were mentioning like you know, finishing up the album right right when the pandemic kind of like the onset of it and like you guys were still recording, kind of finishing up. Now you guys are more heavy into like you know the mixing it. Like, how is that how have you adapted to that? Are there parts of that that you, you think may carry over in the future when, once like in a post pandemic world? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? The past few years, even pre COVID, just because of technology now and everyone has their own studio at home. And like, I mean, it's nothing new to be swapping files back and forth. Right. That has been the process the past many years, I would say, you know, um, working on the new Afghan wigs record right now. And I'm only here with Greg and Patrick Keeler, who's his drummer. And, uh, but then we just, you know, ship stuff out to the bass player and his string player. And, you know, and that process has been, it's, it, it's fine because I've been doing it. You know what I mean? I mean, now we're forced to do it, which is a bummer. And it's nice to get together and be in a room together. Right. But that part of it wasn't, wasn't that much of a transition for me because it's just the way things have been going on the past many years, you know, which is great because you can pick your favorite drummer and he might be playing on people's records. So you can send him your tracks and you can get Glenn Graham to play on your song. You know what I mean? Ooh. It's pretty cool. Like, <laughs> and, he, and Glenn and Glenn does do that. And, uh, you know, a, a bunch. And, and so that those things have been incredible improvements uh, technology wise. And the fact that we can share files with one another is, is just amazing. I still love being in the room, especially with, with blind melon. And, you know, I mean, it's, there's still something that happens when you're all cracking each other up and right. in the room together, but you know what? I'm used to making records this way. It's, it's just the way we've been doing it. Even, even within blind melon, cause blind melon never lives in the same city together. We haven't right. lived in the same city for 30 years. So it's, we've always been, you know, sending stuff back and forth, you know? Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so I see lots of gear. I don't see the guitars, so they must be somewhere else. <laughs> here. Uh, my, my son, who's a great guitar player, hijacks quite a few of them. So 
<laughs> Sometimes you have to go in his bedroom to figure out what he's stolen. But I got I got some. Oh, it's a little dark. Right. I, I got see. some guitar. Whoa! I got Man. some guitars here. Yeah. Some guitars here. Oh man! I got my little drum set here. This is actually Glenn Graham's kick drum, and Glenn Graham's floor tom, and my friend from AWOL Nation's rack tom, Isaac Carpenter from AWOL Nation, loaned, loaned me that and the snare. And I think the hi hats are from Dave Cruzen, the first drummer on the Pearl Jam. <laughs> oh, oh my God! <laughs> what is it? Mean? My drum, my drum set is, what will you give me for free? Basically. <laughs> That's basically my drum set. Wow, what an amazing conglomerate of different artists. <laughs> I think it was maybe a month after I got to speak with you last time, I got to interview uh, Dave Cruzen, and he was so cool. Uh, he's the best, man. We've been buddies for a long time. You know, I, I love Dave so much. Any chance of any Unified Theory stuff in the future? You know what? You never know. I mean, you know, I talk to Chris all the time. We're all friends and stuff. So, you know, you never know. You never know. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I remember going to Tower Records when Tower Records was open and just kind of like didn't know what to kind of get. And I was just, I wandered over to the, the end of the alphabet. And I remember just it was the cover that struck me with the the, the bright blue and, and the orange uh, jellyfish. And I was like, yeah. And then as soon as they turned over, I immediately noticed your face. And I was like. Whoa. And then Brad, I was like, whoa, what is it? <laughs> oh my God. I don't know who this guy is, but like, this has to be bought right now. And man, I remember riding to your house. I'm like, dude, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was a really fun band. It was, uh, I had a great time in that band. You know, we, we all, we all had a really good, we, we had a, we had a good run. It was great. But that album cover was shot at the Monterey uh, Aquarium. We drove up there and uh, kind of snuck some shots in the yeah. aquarium. And that's, that's where that came from. Nice. Yeah, it's a great cover, man. I can't actually really caught me. That's why I grabbed it. <laughs> I had fun in that band. And for me, it was, you know, it was such a different thing than Blind Melon. And it's the very next thing I did after Blind Melon, you know? Yeah. I was used to always, uh, you know, kind of having to play around Rogers is kind of what we do. It's the sound of Blind Melon as well. We kind of play around one another, so to speak, you know, kind of. And um, so it was nice to feel free in a sense that I didn't have that, you know, I didn't have to worry about the other guy. I could just fill up the space more. So that was that was fun for me just to kind of like, you know, try something different, you know. But I love playing with Rogers and I don't play that way with anyone other than really Rogers. And I would actually say my son, honestly, we, we play in a similar we can kind of noodle around each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. What is your sure. He plays guitar. He's 14 and he just became obsessed with it and he's becoming a killer guitar player. Right on. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of scaring me. I think he's going to put me out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, dude. I, so I'm a guitar player is my main instrument and my son wanted to take guitar lessons. And uh, about two years ago, I was like, I'm going to give you piano lessons. We're going to set you up with the piano teacher. He's like, but I want to play guitar. I'm like, no, no, I play guitar. I need a piano player. Or drums or something else. But <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Oh, man. It's cool, though. So when – so this is one of the questions coming in from the chat here. What was your youngest musical memory or something that made you say, I want to do that? I've told this story before. For me, um, and I'll never forget it, like I, I lived in Pennsylvania at the time, and I don't really remember the age. I mean, maybe I was like 10 or 11. It was actually even before I was playing guitar. But um, 
we had one of those old intercoms that you used to be able to play music through your house. It was like the seventies. It was like, you know, high technology in the seventies, you know, but my parents had this intercom and I'll never forget being on the patio outside, which we had an intercom and sympathy for the devil came on. And it just, man, it just felt like it, it just felt like it changed me in three minutes or four minutes, however long the song is like something about everything about the song. It sounded so scary to me. I was so afraid of it, but it was a feeling that I just wanted to get closer to something about the energy of sympathy for the devil. It just felt like, I don't know, man, it's just, it's everything rock and roll is supposed to be. It's frightening, ferocious. You know what I mean? It has bravado. It's just all those great, you know, and I didn't even know who it was. I just knew that song made me want to, whatever that feeling was, I wanted to create that the rest of my life. Yeah. It came over me like in such a wave and I just was obsessed by that feeling. So I remember, I remember that defining moment for sure. And then around that same time, my mother was a, like a folk guitar player and, you know, and those are my earliest memories is watching her kind of play and sing at the same time and seeing that magic. It looked like magic to me. Yeah. um, My mother was in a, a bluegrass band called the Marysville Sunday night pickers. And every Sunday night they would get together and jam. And this is like when I'm even younger, you know, like maybe, I don't know, six or seven, you know? So those are my earliest memories of seeing all of them get together every Sunday I remember just they would laugh a lot and they'd play guitars. And there was a guy named um, Tom Faulkner who was just an amazing guitar player. And I looked up to him and he was, you know, I just remember being young and being like, it looked like magic to me, you know? And it is magic. It is. It still is magic to me. But even before you play guitar, it just looked like a magic trick, you know? So those are those are really my, my earliest memories, I would say. Very what? cool. Very yeah, cool. How that could be all all consuming and just how music, art, whatever whatever form it is that touches you, it's amazing how it could just change vision. It could change your your tone. It could change your mood. It could, it's it just, could change your path and path in life, man. You're heading this direction, and and then you hear, you know, you know, you hear whatever, and then suddenly you're like, man, I'm chasing that the rest of my life. Yep. Right. And and I think that's kind of how how and there's many bands in there that that made that continues, you know, that continued that feeling. Led Zeppelin, after I heard the Zeppelin song, at some point I get turned on to Zeppelin and the Kinks and all that stuff. And, you know, all that stuff was just, oh, man, it made me feel something that I'd never felt before. And I wanted I wanted that power. I wanted to, to figure out how to create that to make somebody else feel that same way. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. That's for sure. Magical stuff. It really is. It really is. That's one of my favorite things about, like, you know, I, I toured and I've been a musician for well over half my life. One of my favorite things that I get to do weekly is turn someone on to something they've never heard. It's and, the best. And, and just watch them, like, when they hear, you know, Eddie Van Halen for the first time. Right. Or, or something. It's like, yeah, like, it takes you right back to that same feeling when you heard it for the first it time. Does. It so does. Cool. I, I love that, too. That's such a great feeling to be able to turn somebody on and and see the change in them as they're hearing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. So Brian and I host another show uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern time weekly where we just review records and talk about records. And through that process, it's allowed us to kind of fall back on the nostalgia of, oh, my God, dude, remember that one? Remember that song? I forgot that song. And then yeah. like, in a public forum, you know, trying to make the world a bit smaller during this COVID stuff. Sure, sure. And ha- it's just really, it's magic. It, there's no other better it word for magic, it. It's magic. Man. It's magic. Yep. 
I see I see another question here in the chat, but it's uh we discussed this the last time. You say is there any unreleased Shannon fronted stuff in the vault? There is, and it's coming out. Right on. Yeah, I do remember you saying that. Yeah, that's exciting. Stand by. Stand by. Um, I don't think I can talk about it yet, but we just partnered up with uh, somebody who happens to be a, a good friend and, uh, and a great company. And um, I just sent off the stuff actually last night, and it, and it looks like it's in motion. So people are going to get to hear a bunch of really cool, you know, acoustic versions that have never been heard before and all kinds of just goodies. Yeah, that's oh, awesome. Man, that's awesome. There's also, in addition to the Shannon sort of acoustic record, um, our uh, old manager sent us, I don't even know how many dats it was, but it was just like, I think my new manager said, we could release a live show every week for like the next 50 years or something. It was something insane. It was like, we have so much live live stuff. So I think we're doing a deal with somebody that will, a separate deal where somebody will release a bunch of live stuff. So yeah. we, have, we have quite a bit in the archives and some of it's like board tapes, which are not great. And, but some of them are, some of them are better recordings. So we have, we still have lots of really good stuff to release. That's so exciting. Just, you know, as a fan, obviously that's incredibly exciting as a musician. That's inspiring because it's as though you get to live on parallel planes. There's all this old material from what was, but then new stuff coming from what is. Yeah. And, and that's so cool to have both, things happening at once thanks that will always be our career right now you know what i mean it's um it's the same band and we've and we've had some some members it's all one big progression yeah, yeah super right, cool right i mean uh do you have any is there something you carry or wear during all of your performances like a, a crystal in your pocket or a scarf or <laughs> that's a good question um I can't play without rings for some reason. I like the rings. Something about the weight on my right hand feels really good. I mm. almost never play. I feel weird if I'm not playing. And then oddly enough, I usually have a licorice root. Something about like I noticed in my early days, I was making really weird, terrible rock faces. So uh, I realized um, either I chew gum on stage so I don't make a weird rock face, or or uh, this is just licorice root by the way. So I just sometimes just have licorice root. Sometimes it just helps me kind of focus my mind and not make like yeah. faces as you're playing guitar, you know? <laughs> wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Interesting. Brian, you got another one that we were talking about before? I mean, uh, I'm trying to think what else we talked about. Oh, you know, what's been fun is this year you guys did so many different, all of you, I think pretty much all of you have done like Q and A's, which has been fun. I know Travis has done a bunch of um, Q and A's, but also kind of like, like a little mini concert, you know, where he's, yeah. cause I remember that's how I first heard fence was he had, played it on, I think it was a Facebook live. And I was like, and it was just yeah. in my head. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird, like the times that we live in, but like, there's a lot of silver linings. I always try to find the silver linings. Otherwise you get swallowed up by the darkness of it. And I feel like a lot of people have come together to do things. I mean, artists, especially you guys have just like, Hey, this is what we're doing. We do Q and a, or like, come check out this. Yeah. Show. Do you think you guys, even after all this, you think that you'll continue? Cause it's almost like a smaller venue for, cause like one of the things that Shannon said in all that, all I could say is uh, he's like, you know, no one came, to Lafayette, nobody. He's like, we live in one of those small towns where like rolling, it didn't matter how big the band was, they didn't come to this town. Yeah. That, that kind of stinks, you know? But having these things that you guys have done, like these Q and A's or like these Q and A slash mini performances. Yeah. This means so much to someone that is like, wow, no one comes to this town and I got to drive five hours to, cause when in the Chicago, there's tons of people from Indiana. Cause sure. reality is like, it's not a yeah. big, you know, and understandably. 
Yeah. And you guys will do things more like that? I think so. I think that's one of the, like, you know, there's going to be a bunch of new stuff moving forward that, that you go like, oh, that came from COVID, right? Right. And I, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. like some of the, and I think um, those are some of the things that are, that are going to, you know, continue. I'm always happy to hang and talk to people and it is, it's cool to connect with people right in their living rooms. So it's, it is. It's an amazing, it's an amazing format. It really was. And if Fly Melon lived in the same city, we'd probably be be doing more, you know, hey, performances at Fireside Sound, Blind Melon. But because we don't live in the same place, it's hard technically and all that sort of stuff, you know. Right. But this sort of stuff is is how we how we get through it. And I don't think any of this stuff will go away. I think this is just, you know, you know, this is just moving forward, how how we do it now, you know. Yeah. And I, I've really enjoyed it. I'm a fan. So I've, you know, I, I've tuned into, you know, I was watching Aaron from AWOL Nation every day. Uh, when COVID first started, he had like an, an Instagram, not a talk show, but he was talking to people about, you know, what they were going through and how they felt. And I was watching that every day. I was watching the Miley Cyrus Instagram thing every day at the beginning of COVID. And you know what I mean? Like it's new things that we didn't have before and they're pretty rad, you know, they are. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something that, you know, you guys have always been, you know, the handful of times I've gotten to see you here in New York over the last, you know, decade or so. And then how Brian mentioned seeing you in Chicago. And then I mentioned last time, by chance, I bought a Bob Bradshaw switching system from Rogers off eBay. That's right. And I didn't even know. And like, he opened the door. I'm like, what? And then he invited me and he gave me tea. It was like, you, you guys are so accessible accessible like you make us all feel like we're part of the same family and that's so cool you know for a band to be so human in that way that's how we feel i mean honestly we're regular people with maybe an extraordinary job or i don't know how to describe it we're you know we're regular people and like you know that what's cool about the blind melon fan base is because we it's been going on for so long like these people are my family now i, I don't even like calling them fans it's like this one big blind melon family and i I've seen these, I've seen my fans have kids and then bring their kids to the show and yeah. all that's a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's right. We feel, we feel lucky to have fans like that, that bring their kid to the, you know, to the show. The next generation is coming to the shows now. Yeah. That's cool. So cool. It's yeah. Cool. That's cool. So I'm going to do my rapid questions real fast just to make sure we get them in. And then we probably have time for a question or two after that. So it's a, it's, it's a, this or that kind of question. Okay. And uh, you, you don't have to justify your answer, but you can if you want. And uh, okay. it's, it's all gear related stuff. I would always preface it with that, especially like say late October, early November, because people were afraid it was going to go down a road that we're not supposed to talk about. So gear, just gear. Okay. All right. Humbucker or single coil? Oh, you stumped me already. I play a Telecaster custom. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. <laughs> yeah, show and tell time. Yeah, I'm here. Now, you asked me a question like that, and I'm going to say both because I've been playing Telecustoms my whole life, which have a single coil and a, cust- and, and a humbucker. Fair enough. In my world, I don't understand why everyone doesn't play this guitar because I get a Les Paul pickup and I get a, a single coil. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to me, this is why this has been my main guitar. My whole career is both. I don't have to pick. <laughs> I, and I think a Telecaster looks so cool with the humbucker oh. and the neck. It's yeah. just, it's a gorgeous guitar. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You know what I mean? To me. So I, so I don't have to answer the question one or the other. I can say both. Is that fair? <laughs> fair enough. Yes. Amazing. You're the only one who doesn't have to choose because you literally, 
I feel like that might be the right answer. Right. It's like a math problem. He's like, he just showed his work, so we can't even argue. <laughs> hunting. Who saw this? Funny. Okay, next question. All right. So, uh, well, see, now that I know, okay, some of these are not going to be as good anymore. But <laughs> per, per, <laughs> pretend uh, a Les Paul or a Strat. Strat. Okay. And then a Strat or Telly. It's going to be a Telly. It's going to be a Telly. Um, uh, Les Paul or SG. SG, but I have to, I have to, I have to tell you, part of the, part of my answers are, are, are coming from a funny place. I can't play a Les Paul because they're too damn heavy, and I look like I'm playing my dad's guitar because I'm small. So to me, so to me, some of my guitar choices are based on: Do I want to hold a guitar that feels like it's 35 pounds, a Les Paul? No. And it's like I feel like I'm playing my dad's guitar, like they look like they're this big. So because I'm a small, always an SG, never a Les Paul. You know what I mean? So, you know, I play parlor guitars, acoustic guitars, because right. they fit my body better. So anyway. Do you know, but that's so true. I, I was in a band, my buddy James, we play guitar bands together, and I'm six one and he's like um uh, five five or he's smaller yeah. guy. And yeah. uh I was a Les Paul guy for a long time and he broke his string on his strat and had to grab my backup Les Paul. Yeah. And he's like, I'm never doing that again. Look yeah. burn the pictures. It just yeah. doesn't look right. Yeah. Yeah, I look like I'm playing like my dad's guitar. You know what but, I mean? Like, whenever I pick up a Les Paul. So All right. Uh P bass or jazz bass? I have a jazz bass. I'm gonna go jazz bass. Cool. Uh for acoustics, Martin or Taylor? Martin all day long. Right answer. Uh, for amps, and this is kind of like they do do two different things, but pretend uh, Marshall or a Fender. Fender. Cool. And now some effect related questions: delay or reverb? I'm gonna say delay for sure. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Fuzz or overdrive? I go. I like the extremes. So for me, overdrive doesn't work for me as much as I like. I like amp distortion that comes from an amp. Mm -hmm. that's always what i'm after and then for a solo i just want it to be the next extreme so for me i'd rather get distortion from my guitar amp without any pedal or anything but when i go to solo I'm, i'll just go like crazy fuzz you know what i mean cool cool interesting or 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 nothing at all or nothing at all phaser or chorus phaser Yes, also the correct answer. <laughs> I have a Maestro phaser. It's one of the all-time great phasers. It's so thick. It's called Maestro. Anyway. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> um, all right, some band questions. Beatles or Stones? Oh hell, that's impossible. Right? <laughs> I know. Every time you ask it, I'm like, come on, man. That's just, I mean, that's just that's almost unfair. Um is what it is. <laughs> I mean, if I have to go to a desert island and I'm picking one band, I'm gonna go with the stones because there's just a longer career, but that's not really that wasn't really the question. But uh But that's a smart answer. That's a good no, answer. One, no, no one said that before. That's actually probably yeah, the best for, answer. For me, if I'm going to an island and I only and I'm only bringing one, like they had a longer career and the difference between the early stuff to the latter, there's, it's just a broader expanse because they were lo around longer. Yeah. So cool. um, I'm going to go Stones. Okay. Nice. Uh, in the Beatles realm, would it be John or Paul? Always John. Okay. It'd be George, quite honestly. But it's I know. I'm <laughs> thinking about putting... It's funny, especially with Brian here, because Brian on occasion can look like a young George. So that's uh -huh, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Um, Zeppelin or Floyd? Oh, uh, that's super hard. But Zeppelin, you know, like 
I started playing guitar. When I got the guitar, it was Jimmy Page. That was the guy that was on my wall. You know right. what I mean? So yeah, I, I got to go. But also obsessed with Pink Floyd. But Jimmy is the reason why I do open tunings. The reason why I picked up the mandolin. The reason why I've been chasing the sound of friends. And that's the way my whole career, I've been trying to write that fucking song. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to write those two songs my whole career. And you can hear me trying in every band. <laughs> oh, that's that, that CT trying to do friends again, isn't he? <laughs> this close. <laughs> I'm, this I'm still trying. I've been trying to write those two songs and Sympathy for the Devil probably my whole career. But anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> um. Uh, what's this one here? Okay, so if if we're thinking in the Pink Floyd realm, would it be Dark Side or The Wall? Uh, I'm gonna go The Wall. The Wall hit me really hard, really hard in my teens. When you know, I mean, I'm I'm around when that record comes out. You know what I mean? I'm um, it's I'm in my teens when the record comes out in the '80s. So, The Wall, The Wall was a life changing experience for me. Cool. Thanks, yeah. yeah. I'm a wall guy too. I've gotten, yeah. I think I've lost friends over that along the way, but I stand strong. The wall. Oh is boy. I'm obsessed. I'm, a, I'm obsessed with the wall for sure. Yeah. Well, and Roger Rogers for that matter. Yeah. For the longest time it was dark side for me because that's how I got introduced to them was dark side. And that was just amazing experience. Like, Whoa. It's wow. a perfect record as well. Yeah. Vibing out in that in the dark, yeah. you know, it's just, it's yeah. but then when James showed me the wall uh, on DVD, we're watching that. I was like, well, you know what? Amazing. Yeah. The first Pink Floyd for me was actually Animals. Really? Yeah. Record. About that on Record Talk. I, yeah. No one talks about that album. It is a phenomenal album. Dude, that one hit me so... That was my yeah. first introduction. I had a friend who had an older brother, and we went into the basement, smoked some weed, put on yeah. some headphones, <laughs> and the Animals. And, and another one of those experiences where I was like, oh, I'm a different person from this point yeah. forward. Yeah, animals and headphones for the very first time, honestly, changed my life. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. No one talks about that album. We, we I know. I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. Love that album. Oh, me too. Beautiful. Well, those are the questions I have. That there's a well, I don't know if this one's relevant, but uh, in a Van Halen world, is it Hagar or Roth? Oh come on, it's always <laughs> really Roth. Let me tell you a story. Yes, it's the late '80s when me and my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, Heather, we were going to move to Los Angeles. We kept saying the same phrase. And it's a phrase that I learned from David Lee Roth. Like, you know, I read every interview he gave because there was no one better. To this day, he might be one of the all-time great people to do interviews. I mean, <laughs> smarter than everybody, quicker, witted, you know, charming, all the above. So I read everything David Lee Roth had to say. And, I, and he said one thing to me that, once again, changed my life. He said, if you're going to roll dice, roll giant dice. So for me, when I decided to leave Pennsylvania and move to Los Angeles to try to get a record deal, which sounded absurd, it was like, fuck it. We're going to roll giant dice. You know what I mean? I'm not going to move. I'm not going to move 20 minutes away from my family. I'm going to move 3,000 miles away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm going to go for it. It was about really going for it in life in general. So David Lee Roth. All day long. Yeah. You know, I agree. all day long. Also the correct answer. Just the yeah, right there. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Cool, man. Well, those are my rapid questions. Oh, yeah. I like them. I like yeah, them. man. Th thanks. They're fun, thanks. fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> I had a few others that like, they like were like movie references or things like that. And like, I'd ask it to people and they're just like, what? 
Right, there's a couple newer artists that just didn't get it. It was a yeah. little bad, I think. Yeah. Even like, reference, what's the movie reference question? What do you mean? Oh, I'm going to blow it. We're doing so good now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, do you ever see the movie Airheads? No. Yeah. Okay. So it was like, so it was like, I guess no one has seen it, but like me and my small circle, it was like <laughs> Brendan Fraser and they're trying to get a record deal and they like break into a radio station. But uh, there's a question where they're, trying to infiltrate them in the radio station and um they're like vetting the record executive who's supposed to come in to make sure he's not a cop and then the question is uh lemmy or god and then and then the answer is a uh, trick question lemmy is god which, ah nice which right? to me was hysterical you know right. but yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good that's a good one <laughs> good trick question i like that yeah <laughs> awesome dude well Thank you so, so much for hanging with us. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I, I showed you last time I got the lyrics were changed, tattooed inside my arm. Amazing. I got, I got it the same time with this guy right here. So we, nice, we, share, we share that tattoo. So I mean, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate that a lot. Hold oh, on. We're lifelong fans. And I mean, ever since the perfect record, I just, I immediately turned him on. So I was like, you gotta listen to this. I know, you know, a lot of people know No Rain uh, and they, they may not know from that. And once I turned on, everybody would just watch, kind of like watch everybody just, you're like, whoa, I'm like, right? Yeah, thank you, man. I, I, I appreciate that. I really uh, appreciate that. You guys do. Thank you so much. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the love. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Well, we look forward to new music um, from past and future. And, yeah, man. And, you know, when the world is safe, catching you guys out there doing shows and stuff. Yes. And oh, we can't wait. My right. goodness. I mean, right. geez, dude, I cannot wait to play, boy. I tell you, the shows are going to be crazy. When we get back, we all of them. You know what I mean? Like everyone is so pent up and crazy right now. Like it's gonna feel so good to get out there and play. I'm telling you, it's gonna be. And um, and there's light at the end of the tunnel now. And uh, it looks like next year, hopefully, we'll all be in a room together watching yeah. some watching some great music. Yeah, yeah. can't wait. Can't yeah. wait. And in the meantime, thank you for giving us your time and just making yeah. the world feel a bit smaller and and sharing your, your your world with us. It really means a lot. Anytime for you guys, man. I'm happy to do it. I love hanging out and talking about music. I'm a fan too, so it's just fun to just sit and bullshit about gear and music, right? 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 Awesome, man. Thank you so Very much. Good. Thank you. That that means, that just made my day. Yeah, <laughs> man. All right, Thank brother. you, guys. Be safe. Take care. Bye, Bob. Shut my computer. Bye. Bye. Right. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs>